0: So how many of us were here in this very room last September doing 10 Days? Let's see a show of hands. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, A great highlight memory, one reason I'm back here right now. And um, I just want to highlight as we get started here, that tomorrow morning we're going to hear from Pastor Jumba. And he was here last uh, September. And Pastor, you were one of my highlights from that gathering in September. So blessings, brother, yeah, Amen. and his wife, Margaret, who I just met. So, from Uganda, and thank you for being an example, and not just sharing good ideas, or good theories, or maybe somehow this might work somewhere some way, but you've lived it, you've seen it, and you've modeled it for us. And we just want to thank you on behalf of all of those Ugandan leaders that uh, have been such an inspiration. So anyway, praise the Lord. I do want to hand out a card. This isn't the topic for tonight. It's just called Seven Ways to Defeat the Stupor. We got this from the Lord in prayer. Thank you. Um, We got this in prayer. And it could be that your church isn't uh, spiritually zealous as you'd like it to be, or your family, or even in your own life. But that's what this is to help with, Is to Get this stupor thing off of us. The Lord revealed it to us that we are actually more uh, encumbered by this than what we might think, and it, it, there's a spiritual battle component to this thing. So we got to um, defeat uh, the stupor, and that's what that card is about. And I hope it's a, a blessing to you. So tonight, um, I'm going to deviate a little bit from some of the things I typically address in that I want to use what Jonathan shared after lunch. He talked about 10 days of mourning. I want to talk about that a bit um, in, in a bit. Okay. So there's really three areas. First, I want us to understand that this idea of mourning, whether it's personal or even for a nation, it's biblical. Secondly, I believe God is moving us into deeper mourning as the body of Christ right now. And number three, I want to assure you that if you move in this area of mourning, that you're not going to become clinically depressed, <laughs> okay? So the first time I did this this morning thing, uh, all because of Jonathan, all because of the call on his ministry and engaging in it, I literally had that thought, like, where am I going to end up after 10 days of this? And... Uh, Anyway, we'll get there, but it's been powerful, and I want to give my testimony in that area. So, um, before we move into that, what's at the DNA level of ten days? I want to share a couple of things related to nations and revival, and this could be a, a couple of things that are new for for many of us in this room. Okay. So, first, as we get started here. Uh, does God care about nations today? I'm a huge kingdom person. The kingdom is without borders. The gospel is to go to all languages, all tribes, all peoples. But does God still care about nations today? And if you have a Bible, let's start there in Jeremiah chapter 18. And this uh, this is what I believe to be the most neglected passage in the Bible when it comes to understanding how God interna- interacts with nations today. And so in Jeremiah 18, we have the, the famous passage about the potter and the clay. I'm not going to read verses 1 through 6, but the point of verses 1 through 6 is that the nation, in this case it's Israel, but the nation is not cooperating and God has to make the clay into something else, okay? So you can read on the, your own time, but starting in verse 7, Jeremiah 18, verse 7. At one moment, I might ask, or I'm sorry, at one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom. So suddenly, this is not only about the nation of Israel, okay? The context of the chapter is, but now Jeremiah is saying, God speaking through Jeremiah, that this is about a nation or concerning a kingdom, if he wills to uproot, to pull it down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I had planned to bring on it. Or in another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. And it's that last part. Of, of this passage that I'm concerned about because God has planted America. He has built it up. He has blessed it like no other nation. And yet is he rethinking the good for which he had pl- planned from the very beginning? Okay, now let's just back up a little bit on this whole nations thing. The first time that we see nations described in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 10. It's after the flood, and this is where every nation on earth comes from. It has the the name of every family, every patriarch back in that day. Okay, that's where we all derive from. It was from Genesis chapter 10. Scholars call that chapter the Table of Nations. Okay, as we pick up momentum, obviously we see that God chose Israel to reflect His glory. All these kinds of things. And then as we continue on, we see God not only sending blessing or judgment to the nation of Israel, but we see even through Isaiah, other places in Jeremiah, other prophets, we see God dealing with other nations as well. Okay, And it's interesting, when we get here to Jeremiah 18, that Jeremiah is the only prophet that gets this designation. From Jeremiah chapter 1, two times, it says that Jeremiah is the prophet to the Nations, plural. And that's from that prophet that we get this passage. Now, as we fast forward, we get to Acts chapter 17, because the idea is now we're in the New Testament. Did God do away with nations? Is this concept obsolete? This kind of a thing. And when we get to Acts 17, Paul is preaching in Athens on Mars Hill, and he said, God created the nations. He says, He put. Their boundaries around every nation. It actually says that, that he put the boundaries around every nation and the times in which they would exist. So here we have Paul affirming God's creative, redemptive purposes of nations. Now, i got to ask you, Grant, even though I've not officially met you yet, but does God care about the actual physical boundaries around the nation of Israel today? Absolutely, I love it with the British accent. Absolutely. Anyway, here's the point: God put boundaries around nations, and there's all kinds of implications. Now we got Ground Zero here with the nation of Israel. Isn't it interesting that's the one nation that there's still these major disputes about where the boundaries should still be? That's revealing about God cares about those boundaries, but also He cares about every nation. It's no accident that our friends from the UK, that you're surrounded by by water. It's no accident that America has Mexico to the south, Canada to the north, oceans on the east and west. These are all things that were designed by God, and Paul affirms that in Acts 17. Okay, so we're starting early in the biblical story, Genesis 10. We're seeing a theme of nations here. The word nations shows up over 600 times throughout the Bible. But can anybody finish this this, uh, verse for me? And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, can anybody tell me the chapter in which that comes from? Revelation. I'm going with this one. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Revelation 22. And what's unique about Revelation 22? It's the last chapter in the entire Bible. We're still talking about nations. Here's the point. We could prove this from Isaiah and other prophetic books. As far as we can look out through the prophetic lens of scripture, nations still exist. Nations exist in the millennium. It's going to be stunning to see Jesus ruling and reigning out of Jerusalem, sitting on his throne. And every night it's going to be CNN and Fox News, what Jesus had to say that day out of Jerusalem. (laughs) It is going to be awesome. And the point is, is that there's still going to be the nations ruled by the Son of God on the earth. God never, as far as we can tell in Scripture, God never does away with nations, which is kind of counterintuitive, because we're, like me, I think all of us are kingdom people. And the kingdom does not have those national borders, but God has a plan in this, a redemptive purpose. So the reason that I bring all of this um, up about nations is because back to Jeremiah 18, It is my belief, based on that passage, that God has never reneged on, that today God is weighing nations in the the balance. He's still weighing nations today. There's still, if you think of James chapter four, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Often we think of that on an individual level. But on a, a national level, the same thing is true we still have the opportunity to draw near to God as a nation and see him draw near to us. Okay, so the reason I'm bringing this up as well is because we always talk about revivals coming to our nation or revivals coming to this nation or that nation or whatever. But then when we just turn things a little bit and we say, well, what about judgment? Well, then I don't think God treats nations that way. OK? I don't believe that we can have this both ways based on Jeremiah chapter 18. OK, so when we're talking about God moving in revival, there's, a, I believe, a missing element to this. Wherever you see a national revival, often, if not usually, often, there's, in proximity, national trouble. Okay. Now, for a long time, I was in full-time revival ministry for 12 years, and I still am kind of. um, But God has given me more of this this bend on Jeremiah and some of the prophets. But the point is, I'm still believing God for revival. That's why I'm here. I still believe that the the cities are going to stop and worship the Lord. But here's here's the point. If we understand revival, there's often difficulty that's in proximity. And we need, I believe, as the body of Christ to understand this four example okay first in the book of acts and i think most of us would want to see the book of acts right now in the revivals and the outpourings of the spirit there's four outpourings of the spirit documented in the book of acts we want to see that today but let's not forget that acts chapter 8 says that a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And that's why Philip went to Samaria, where he saw this great move of God that turned out that Peter and John came as an outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 8. Let's also not forget that as we look at Acts in its totality, in over half of the chapters, somebody is in jail for their faith. We also have in other chapters people dying for their faith. And here's the point now as we Again, I want to pull back the lens, and I want to look at the big picture. In 1857, in 1858, in this nation, we had what's become known as the businessman's prayer revival, and it was a powerful move of God. Now, not to get into all of that, but what happened right after that move of God Civil in the American history, The Civil War. God blessed our nation, but it wasn't to avert what was coming. It was to empower his people through what was coming. Okay, and there were revivals during the war, even on both sides, of the North and the South. Okay, if we fast forward a bit, um, and let's go international this time, before there was North and South Korea, there was just the Korean Peninsula. In 1906, there is an amazing move of God in uh, what is today the capital city of North Korea, that is Pyongyang. It's powerful. God moves. 1906, there's repentance, there's brokenness. God is moving supernaturally. Lots of people are being saved. What happens in 1909? The Japanese invade the Korean Peninsula, and believers are being martyred for their faith. God didn't send the revival to avert what was coming. He sent revival to empower his people through what was coming. Often in proximity with re- revival, now, this is national revivals, not local revivals. Often in proximity with national revivals, there, are, there is also national difficulty. Okay, so um, we could look at this in terms of a national difficulty that was taking place in Uganda through Idi Amin and then after him Milton Abode. And through that difficulty came the revival that we hear about now and how God changed the nation of Uganda. But in proximity with that revival, there was national difficulty. Okay. We could look at the Jesus movement in this nation. What was going on in this nation during the late 60s and 70s when the Jesus movement happened there? Yes, right. The Vietnam War, 58,000 uh, young men and women in America uh, died in that war. So there was Vietnam. And what else were people saying? social upheaval. we had the sexual revolution, we had drugs entering, and that door got burst down like never before, and it's never gone away. We have all of these things going on, and simultaneously, we see God move. Often, with national revival, there's often national difficulty in proximity. Now, this next one is one that really blew me away. The Welsh revival is the first one that we know that really impacted in a great way internationally, Okay, I mean, from Wales, it got to India and other countries and so forth, Okay, Many, many countries. In 1906 was Azusa Street. Also uh, became the flashpoint for this huge, like, international, global kind of move of God. And that movement's never gone away. It's continued ever since. But the point is, that that happened in 1904, ignited in, in Wales. 1906 Azusa Street and it's continuing on what happens in 1912? The First World War. God was... What's that? 1914. Oh, I'm sorry, 1914. God was preparing people for difficulty. Okay? Now again, as I just alluded to a moment ago, we can have local revivals in our churches where this pattern does not play out. But often when there's national revival in proximity is national difficulty. So um, so with that said, um, I want to take a little bit of a shift here. And I want to move into this morning aspect that, that is at the heart of 10 days. Again, John's, Jonathan's original word from the Lord is, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before my return. Okay? Um, just, just to touch on this mourning aspect before we drill down. Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. The word blessed, again, a lot of people highlight happiness, which is true. It's the highest level of satisfaction or state of being. Blessed are are those who mourn? Okay, in the book of James, James says, "Turn your laughter into mourning." It's not because James hates these people; it's because James wants them to move in the power of the Lord and get right with with the Lord. And we have other passages, and I want to just highlight this theme in the book of Isaiah. Um, in Isaiah chapter 22, is a fascinating um, account. Uh, where it's the valley of vision where the prophets would get their visions, and the vision is is of the Assyrians that are coming. And in verse 5, it talks about a valley of vision. Okay, but the vision is not an encouragement, but it's actually that God is sending a judgment to that nation. And it actually says that God himself, in verse 8, he removed the defense of Judah. There were breaches in the wall. The people respond trusting themselves by dismantling their own homes in order to uh, uh, fix the breaches in the wall, as um, as what would happen later. Okay, it says... But do not depend on, that the people did not depend on him who made it, nor did you take into consideration him who planned it long ago. And I'm reading from verse 12 here. It says, Therefore, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping and to wailing. In other words, God called the people to mourning over the condition of their nation. It's further. explained here by, it says, shaving the head and wearing sackcloth. Verse 13, instead of that, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. And it goes on to explain the attitude of the people is, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me. Surely this iniquity shall not be forgiven you until you die, says the Lord God of. Of hosts. The people were called to know the spiritual condition of their nation. They were called to move into a posture of mourning, and they didn't do it. Fascinating, if we were to flip over to Amos chapter 6, it's the same idea. This is an affluent culture, and it says that they have. they have pouches that are inlaid with ivory. and says they're drinking wine by the bowl, bowlful. But then in, in Amos chapter 6, verse 7, it goes on to say, but because you did not mourn, you will be the first to go into exile. When there is compromise, waywardness, sin in the camp, God's people are called to get low before the Lord, to confess the sins of the people, our own sins personally, and we are called to stand in the breach. We are called on behalf of the nation to do this. OK. So clearly, this idea of mourning is, is uh, uh, even if it's a minor theme, it's still a theme within scripture. Now, how you know? That your nation is really in trouble, uh, the Lord help bring some things coalescing to me on this. Okay, the first way you know your nation's really in trouble is if your government uh, passes laws, ratifies laws that are in contradiction to God's will and ways. Okay, that's the first way. Secondly, put apart the, or put aside the government for a moment. The second way you know that your nation is in trouble, is if the population or the people want those same things that are in contradiction to God's will and ways. And then third, where you know your nation is in trouble, is if the church is in tacit agreement. And what I mean by that is in tacit agreement because the church isn't saying anything on those very issues. And when we see these three things converge, when we see the government contradicting God's will and ways, the people wanting it that way and rising up and wanting these things, and the church in silence and not being salt and light in the culture, that's how you know your nation is in trouble. And that is how you would know to move into a posture of mourning. Okay, so let me uh, open this up a bit. Let's interact. It's been a long day. Can any of us think of any issues going on in our country, um, let's just say in the last 10 years or so, um, that are examples of those three things converging? A convergence of the government, a convergence of the people in a convergence of the church. Not that every church is silent, but, a, but there is silence. Um, yeah? Homosexual marriage. OK, homosexual, so homosexual marriage. Oberfell versus Hodges, June 26, 2015, coming up on the thir- third anniversary of that date. So it, it wasn't the legislature or the White House. It was the Supreme Court, but still the top court in the land ratifies this, mandates this as a right for every one of the 50 states and every American. The people rose up and said, anybody who's against this is intolerant, filled with hate speech, all of these kinds of things. And uh, many of the churches that I was connected to at that time or, or interacting with did not preach. Before that, during that, or since, God's plan for human sexuality. God's plan, Jesus laid it out in Matthew 19, that, uh, that he created um, male and female, and that the two would become one flesh. Have we given a positive vision to the world of God's plan for human sexuality in marriage? OK. All right, can anybody think of anything else, any other topic? abortion. Okay, So here we are today with 60 million, um, on the verge of 60 million abortions. The government led in that area. I I wasn't very old at that time in 1973, but my understanding is that the church got got caught a bit off guard, wasn't sure when life began, and uh, there wasn't. Um, maybe the uh, response there should have been, and so forth, as well as uh, a certain percentage of people wanted that. Is there any? Is there any other issue that comes to mind? The way, the way of Balaam and greed. Okay, so money, finances, and so forth. Okay, now this isn't being so much legislated to us by the government, but nevertheless. Um, Let's uh, let's focus on a couple areas. One would be the church and how we're responding. But how did this happen where the wealthiest nation on Earth became $21 trillion in debt and it's growing every day? I just saw uh, recently that from January to April of this year, the government uh, received more taxes from the people than ever in our nation's history. But we went another $344 billion in debt, adding to that $21 trillion. On this pace, even with the greatest amount of tax revenue ever, on this pace, we will add another trillion dollars to our debt. Um, so those are just some like broad strokes. But within the church, and I know Greg is speaking into following Babel, Baal and, and um, allowing uh, this mindset within, within the church. You know, Peter said in Acts 3 to the lame man, he said, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he had the power of God on his life. Can we really say today... In the church today in America, silver and gold, we have none (laughs) but the power of God. It's like this, and I don't want to, like... Uh, stereotype every church, but it's like, we need to increase our budget by 10% so that we can do 10% more programs and outages, and then maybe we'll see 10% more people come to Christ this year. That's absolutely not the way that Jesus did ministry. It's absolutely not the way that we see in the Bible. In fact, your church budget could go down 50%, and you could see more people come to Christ than ever. We need to not serve both God and mammon. Um, any other topics? Yes, the uh, right to tra- uh, transgender operations. OK, so we in this nation, through what I believe is a lack of, of, a, of a biblical um, explanation, mandate, so forth, we went down a path. Where, as we just talked about, the gay marriage is now mandated in all 50 states. Okay? Now, in the church, and I, again, I don't want to broad stroke this too much, but what I sensed is, like, even in our youth groups, well, we don't want to tell our kids about that. I mean, like, over the last few decades, like, that's just too weird, too disgusting. So, if we don't say anything, this whole gay thing is going to go away. Where did that get us? We didn't teach sexually sexuality. Now my sister here is talking about transgenderism. I see us doing the exact same plan of action on this topic as we did over the gay issue. Are our youth groups right now teaching those young people exactly God's, God's creation, how he created the male or female. These kinds of things are they being taught? Are they being taught on Sunday morning? to The adults. Are we really, uh, uh, are we really championing God's creation in terms of what He did in this area? The reason I'm saying this is because I just talked uh, a few months ago to a campus minister who's been at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for a long time, and he said, "Dave, you can't believe how different the incoming freshmen are now." And I was like, "Really? I thought I'd seen everything, right?" You know? And I said, Well, give me an example. How are these freshmen so different? And he said, The statistics show that between 33% and 48% of incoming freshmen at some level are struggling with their gender identity. And he says, My experience on this campus bears that out. Wow. So here we are. The same uh, an- another like point of the spear kind of culture issue. Are we even saying anything within the church, or is it just, oh, that's too weird, and this is too disgusting, and I just don't want to say anything? We will hand over this generation to transgenderism, just like we hand over the last generation to homosexuality. So another kind of off the off the record, um, another off the record. Um, uh, a survey, I'm just doing personally, I love asking young people, um, you know, let, let's just say basically 16 years old through college, so basically 24 years old or so, you go to good, solid, Bible-believing churches, some of these are spirit-filled churches, but anyway, you're going to a good church, you're on the right side of this, how many of your friends that go to that church, part of your youth group, your college culture, how many believe that, um, that that we need to be supportive of gay marriage. And the answers range from 40% to over 90%. So in the good churches, that's our friends. And that's what I'm concerned about, is we look at other things that are coming our way. You mentioned transgenderism, that we're going to end up in the same places we did on that issue. Um, yeah, Derek. So in California, um, there's a bill that was passed. California AB 2943. Uh, that uh, outlaws um, conversion therapy or even yeah. teaching or distributing or selling material yeah. that promotes a biblical worldview of sexuality, marriage, and morality. So in California, we're on the verge of even going further off the deep end and as a state government completely outlawing it all together. Okay, so... Um, I heard about that through Summit Ministries with David Noble. Mm -hmm. Okay, So if you've heard of Summit Ministries with David Noble, they do their uh, world view with young people, basically high school and college students in different locations. I I believe it's some astronomical number, like they've had 500,000 youth or something go through their seminars. And they had one of their seminar locations in California they moved it out of California because they couldn't promise the government they weren't going to teach on human sexuality. So, yeah. I think we've moved into an entitlement society. Um, the statistics show that a couple of years ago uh, there's more people getting money from the government than are giving money to the government right now. And so we've, there's the work ethic is what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's not going to bode well. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, uh, just to go back to what Derek was saying, that same law, or at least you know, outline getting counseling and so forth, or counseling anyone mm-hmm. who is gay to get back to normal heterosexuality, was passed, um, I think, a, a, over a year ago, a year and a half or so ago, and it's now before the New Hampshire state legislature. Yes, mm-hmm. It's actually on the governor's, desk, too, on the you governor's know, desk, and it looks like he's going to sign it as they... short of the fear of the Lord but yeah he's going to sign it. In New Hampshire? In New Hampshire. There was a meeting meeting about two or three weeks ago about 30 pastors or so met with the governor at his request and that was front and center he was being pressured a lot about why he was going to sign it and so forth and I don't know if he changed his mind through that whole process but that bill has been put through and and the governor said he was going to sign it. Yeah, so there's many examples that we can give here in terms of why we in this nation need to get low before the Lord. And, you know, Jonathan, I hope you're okay with this, but, like, this year I'm not really going to talk about ten days of mourning, and I like ten days of prayer, too, but I'm going to talk to my people about we're going to take ten days to get low before the Lord. And... Um, and I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of connection with that. Um, we have to get low before the Lord. Part of that will be mourning, um, of course. But you know, um, I just have uh, I just have Pastor Jumba in Uganda on the mind because he's sitting right there. I just I just can't help it. Um, but he was sharing with me in this room last September that a few years ago, and he at least uh, I mean pastoring a church. A school teacher in his church came to him and said, look at the curriculum that they're giving us. And again, it was all on this issue of human sexuality and what makes up a family and all these kinds of things. This curriculum was pushed on the, uh, the education department of Uganda. It was pushed on them by our nation. And and if I remember right, Pastor, that uh, it it would even kind of went around your government, like it was sort of under the radar. How the US government did it is we did it under the radar to get it into Uganda directly to the schools. So here's the point. The point is, is not only have we done some of these things in our own nation, but we've exported it to other Nations, we need to get low before the Lord. And in my earlier days, I was like, "Oh, let's, you know, let's fight this uh, X, Y, and Z." Now I see what you do when you see this. First of all, until the Lord shows you more, is you have a broken heart and you mourn. Um, you know, I was having breakfast with Dwight here, and Dwight is part of a, a business where they have software in there. I couldn't believe this. He's just sharing at breakfast how the, there's counterfeit pharmaceuticals. And around the, the, the globe, a million people die every year because of these, these uh, counterfeit or, or tainted uh, pharmaceuticals. Like a million people. Oh my gosh. And what their business is doing is helping Um, put serial numbers or something so that you can track where these things come from so when this happens they can actually trail it back and stop it. And I'm just praising God, Dwight, for the business you're part of and what you all are doing. But again, I listen to that and it's like mourning, grieving. How did the enemy get his hands on at least part of the pharmaceutical industry and infiltrate like this because there's only one that comes to steal kill and destroy and it's diabolical it's the enemy that is behind this so we want to get low before the Lord and when you see the things that have gone on in our nation I believe that if uh, James were alive today he would tell the American church turn your laughter into mourning Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before my return. And I love how Jonathan was painting that picture and phrasing it this morning. We mourn because Jesus has not come back yet. We're longing for his return so he can correct all of this stuff. And there's many, many more things we're not even touching on. At the same time, we mourn because of the destructive nature of of what the enemy has done is he's infiltrated our culture in our own sinful, rebellious choices as a nation. We also get low before the Lord. And um, so shortly here, we are going to move into a time of mourning tonight before the Lord. But I want to give, I believe there needs to be a little bit more of the heart behind this because this is not about let's just list out all the problems in culture. God, what a bummer. Now let's go mourn. This is about love and, and Gaylord ends. Um, uh, I love your book. My wife loves your book. I heard Gaylord right here in this room last September. But here's the point mourning is about love, it is Jesus' commandment. Could Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, have wept the way he did if he didn't love the Lord and love his people? Everywhere in the book of Jeremiah, his heart comes out. Every prophet, God's saying, come back to me. Don't go that way because of love. And then when we get to the book of Lamentations, of course, Jeremiah also wrote that book. He is lamenting. This is after the judgment. It's after the devastation. He's looking around. But he's broken. He's in tears. He's mourning because of love for God. And this was not what God had intended. And for love for the people who are in so much pain, come back to the Lord. So I believe that this really is about love. Like if you don't care about your kids or you don't care about your grandkids or you don't care about the next generation well then you can just leave and go play video games and have fun and watch movies and do everything else in this disneyland we call america but if you love you love you don't want to see shattered lives can you imagine this whole generation The boys wondering if they're girls, and the girls wondering if they're boys. Do you realize how that fragments the soul and how it destroys life and how much harder it is for all of us to lead these people to Christ because they're so fragmented in their souls? We get low before the Lord because we say, Lord, no! This is not your plan. Your plan was always this. And we're mourning over the trajectory. We're mourning. We're grieving. We're broken. And I believe, I believe that this is the heart of Jeremiah. I believe this is the heart of Isaiah. I believe this is the heart of Amos and the other prophets. And so we want to get low before the Lord and say, Lord, this is serious. We're talking about whole generations. And there's so much that I didn't get to say tonight, and that's fine. I think I think this is as far as we need to go tonight. What I want us to do is I... Um, oh. I think the Lord wants me to give one encouragement. (laughs) Um, I don't care how hard things get in the days ahead. I believe that there's going to be a window of time when every one of us in this room and everybody that has a humble heart and is dialed in with the Holy Spirit, I believe every one of us will experience an Acts chapter 8 ministry if we're ready. Yeah. And when God sends the shaking to our nation, more people are going to drop the entertainment and everything else than the money and all this kind of stuff, and people are going to ask the right questions. And if we as the body of Christ are ready, we are going to be in a situation where we may see the greatest harvest Amen. we've ever seen. Amen. Oh. What's up? Not me. Okay. Well. Well. <laughs> okay. Amen. I gotta get to know Grant here, so I've been getting to know you through him over there. But you know, this is good. I'm glad you sat in the front row. Um, so, um, so, but here's the point. I believe even the morning is part of the coming revival and part of having this fruitful season that's ahead. Okay. But tonight, let's get low before the Lord. Let's remember what James said. Let's remember what Isaiah 22 said. Let's remember that God is weighing nations today. And let just let's just say with maybe uh, one or two people around you, just begin to call those areas out that are not God's will and way and just call them out and say, Lord, I am so sorry. This has happened not exclusively in my generation, but it has happened more fully in this generation.